Chapter Forty Three of The Bent Twig by Dorothy Canfield. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Forty Three. Quote, Call now. Is there any that will answer thee? Unquote. From Job. When she went back to the silent, echoing house, she felt calmer than at any time since she had read the telegram in Naples. She did not stop to wash her earth-stained hands, but went directly up the stairs to the locked door at the top. She did not knock this time. She stood outside and said authoritatively in a clear, strong voice, the sound of which surprised her, "'Father, dear, please open the door and let me in.' There was a pause and then a shuffle of feet. The door opened, and Professor Marshall appeared, his face very white under the thick stubble of his gray, unshaven beard, his shoulders bowed, his head hanging. Sylvia went to his side and took his hand firmly in hers, and said quietly, "'Father, you must eat something. You haven't taken a bit of food in two days, and then you must lie down and rest.' She poured all of her new strength into these quietly issued commands, and permitted herself no moment's doubt of his obedience to them. He lifted his head, looked at her, and allowed her to lead him down the stairs and again into the dining-room. Here he sat, quite spent, staring before him until Sylvia returned from the kitchen with a plate of cold meat and some bread. She sat down beside him, putting out again consciously all her strength and set the knife and fork in his nerveless hands in the gentle monologue with which she accompanied his meal she did not mention her mother or anything but slight casual matters about the house and garden she found herself speaking in a hushed tone as though not to awake a sleeping person although she sat quite quietly her hands loosely folded on the table her heart was thrilling and burning to a high resolve. Now it is my turn to help my father. After he had eaten a few mouthfuls and laid down the knife and fork, she did not insist further, but rose to lead him to the couch in the living room. She dared not risk his own room, the bed on which her mother had died. Now you must lie down and rest, father, she said loosening his clothes and unlacing his shoes as though he had been a sick child. He let her do what she would, and as she pushed him gently back, he yielded and lay down at full length. Sylvia sat down beside him, feeling her strength ebbing. Her father lay on his back, his eyes wide open. On the ceiling above him a circular flicker of light danced and shimmered, reflected from a glass of water on the table. His eyes fastened upon this, at first unwinkingly, with a fixed intensity, and later with dropped lids and half-upturned eyeballs. He was quite quiet, and finally seemed asleep, although the line of white between his eyelids made Sylvia shudder. With the disappearance of the instant need for self-control and firmness, she felt an immense fatigue. It had cost her dearly this victory, slight as it was. She drooped in her chair, exhausted and undone. She looked down at the ash-gray, haggard face on the pillow, trying to find in those ravaged features her splendidly life-loving father. 
It was so quiet that she could hear the big clock in the dining room ticking loudly, and half-consciously she began to count the swings of the pendulum. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. She awoke to darkness, and the sound of her mother's name loudly screamed. She started up, not remembering where she was, astonished to find herself sitting in a chair. As she stood bewildered in the dark, the clock in the dining room struck two. At once, from a little distance, outside the window, apparently, she heard the same wild cry ringing in her ears. Barbara! All the blood in her body congealed, and the hair on her head seemed to stir itself in the instant before she recognized her father's voice. The great impulse of devotion which had entered her heart in the garden still governed her. Now she was not afraid. She did not think of running away. She only knew that she must find her father quickly and take care of him. Outside on the porch, the glimmering light from the stars showed her his figure, standing by one of the pillars, leaning forward, one hand to his ear. As she came out of the door, he dropped his hand, threw back his head, and again sent out an agonizing cry, "'Barbara, where are you?' It was not the broken wail of despair. It was the strong, searching cry of a lost child who thinks trustingly that if he but screams loudly enough, his mother must hear him and come, and yet who is horribly frightened because she does not answer. But this was a man in his full strength who called, it seemed the sound must reach beyond the stars. Sylvia felt her very bones ringing with it. She went along the porch to her father and laid her hand on his arm. Through his sleeve she could feel how tense and knotted were the muscles. "'Oh, father, don't!' she said in a low tone. He shook her off, roughly, but did not turn his head or look at her. Sylvia hesitated, not daring to leave him and not daring to try to draw him away and again was shaken by that terrible cry. The intensity of his listening attitude seemed to hush into breathlessness the very night about him, as it did Sylvia. There was not a sound from the trees. They stood motionless, as though carved in wood. Not a bird fluttered, a wing, not a night insect trilled. The brook, dried by the summer heat to a thread, crept by noiselessly. As once more the frantic cry resounded it seemed to pierce this opaque silence like a palpable missile and to wing its way without hindrance up to the stars not the faintest murmur came in answer the silence shut down again stifling sylvia and her father stood as though in the vacuum of a great bell-glass which shut them away from the rustling breathing living world sylvia said again imploringly oh father he looked at her angrily sprang from the porch and walked rapidly towards the road stumbling and tripping over the laces of his shoes which sylvia had loosened when she had persuaded him to lie down sylvia ran after him her long bounds bringing her up to his side in a moment the motion sent the blood racing through her stiffened limbs again she drew a long breath of liberation as she stepped along beside her father peering in the starlight at his dreadful face half expecting him to turn and strike her at any moment she felt an immense relief the noise of their feet on the path was like a sane voice of reality 
anything was more endurable than to stand silent and motionless and hear that screaming call lose itself in the grimly unanswering distance they were on the main road now walking so swiftly in the hot summer night sylvia felt her forehead beaded and her light dress cling to her moist body she took her father's hand it was parched like a sick man's the skin like a dry husk after this they walked hand in hand professor marshall continued to walk rapidly scuffling in his loose unlaced shoes they passed barns and farmhouses the latter sleeping black in the starlight with darkened windows in one a poor little shack of two rooms there was a lighted pane and as they passed sylvia heard the sick wail of a little child the sound pierced her heart she longed to go in and put her arms about the mother now she understood she tightened her hold on her father's hand and lifted it to her lips he suffered this with no appearance of his former anger and soon after sylvia was aware that his gait was slackening she looked at him searchingly and saw that he had swung from unnatural tension to spent exhaustion his head was hanging and as he walked he wavered she put her hand under his elbow and turned him about on the road now we will go home she said drawing his arm through hers he made no resistance not seeming to know what she had done and shuffled along wearily leaning all his weight on her arm she braced herself against this drag and led him slowly back wiping her face from time to time with her sleeve there were moments when she thought she must let him sink on the road but she fought through these and as the sky was turning faintly gray over their heads and the implacably silent stars were disappearing in this pale light the two stumbled up the walk to the porch professor marshall let himself be lowered into the steamer chair sylvia stood by him until she was sure he would not stir and then hurried into the kitchen in a few moments she brought him a cup of hot coffee and a piece of bread he drank the one and ate the other without protest she set the tray down and put a pillow under her father's head raising the footrest he did not resist her his head fell back on the pillow but his eyes did not close they were fixed on a distant point in the sky sylvia tiptoed away into the house and sank down shivering into a chair a great fit of trembling and nausea came over her she rose walked into the kitchen her footsteps sounding in her ears like her mother's there was some coffee left which she drank resolutely and she cooked an egg and forced it down her mother's precepts loud in her ears whatever else happened she must have her body in condition to be of use after this she went out to the porch again and lay down in the hammock near her father the dawn had brightened into gold and the sun was showing on the distant level green horizon line it was almost the first moment of physical relaxation she had known and to her immense her awed astonishment it was instantly filled with a pure clear brilliance the knowledge that austin page lived and loved her it was the first it was the only time she thought of anything but her father and this was not a thought it was a vision in the chaos about her a great sunlit rock had emerged she laid hold on it and knew that she would not sink 
but now now she must think of nothing but her father there was no one else who could help her father could she could anyone she herself since her prayer among the roses cherished in her darkened heart a hope of dawn but how could she tell her father of that even if she had been able to force him to listen to her she had nothing that words could say nothing but the recollection of that burning hour in the garden to set against the teachings of a lifetime that had changed life for her but what could it mean to her father how could she tell him of what was only a wordless radiance her father had taught her that death meant the return of the spirit to the great impersonal river of life if the spirit had been superb and splendid like her mother's the river of life was the brighter for it but that was all her mother had lived and now lived no more that was what they had tried to teach her to believe that was what her father had taught her without it now appeared believing it himself and yet she divined that it was not he who would not but that he could not now believe it he was like a man set in a vacuum fighting for the air without which life is impossible and she knew no way to break the imprisoning wall and let in air for him was there indeed any air outside there must be or the race could not live from one generation to the next every one whose love had encountered death must have found an air to breathe or have died constantly through all these thoughts that day and for many days and months to come there rang the sound of her mother's name screamed aloud she heard it as though she were again standing by her father under the stars and there had been no answer she felt the tears stinging at her eyelids and sat up terrified at the idea that her weakness was about to overtake her she would go again out to the garden where she had found strength before the morning sun was now hot and glaring in the eastern sky end of chapter forty three